um, Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Halfway through. We've been through half of it. You know, some people say in their day, so far, so good. A lot of times that more often said between 8 and 9 than 3 and 4 p.m. So far, so good. So, sometimes when a project's going well, a project never goes well for me at the house, but, but, but so, so in the very beginning, I'll say, so far, so good. When it comes to this book that God has used Solomon to give us wisdom from, we might call the first half we've been through so far, so bad. Uh, I warned in the beginning that there is a lot of gloom and doom from the experience, from the project that Solomon had in mind when he went out into the world to try to be satisfied. Solomon has taken, taken us to some very low, very weak, meaningless places. With his wealth, his power, and his status, and his wisdom, he went out in to take us to such low, vain places in his experiment in this world. I mean, Solomon had everything a man could want for a good time in this world. And he came back empty. Everything that he went out to delight in, that the world would promise and, and have the appearance of so much fun and satisfaction and fulfillment, he came back depressed about it. Worldly pursuits were a waste of time. But from that extensive experience that he has dragged us through, now we come to the better things in life. And as I said, there are things that, that we've detected that were written from a natural state, from man under the sun, but we also see where God's Holy Spirit has led Solomon to say some things to us. To tell us about some things in life that are better than others. And, and many of us may know these verses very well we're about to go into, but let me say this for anyone listening online or, or anyone in your first or second venture through this book of Ecclesiastes, there is going to be some things that we share here tonight, and the natural mind says, that's not the way I think. That's not the way I thought it was. And thank God for His Word. Thank God for the renewing of our minds. We, we need that. We need His Word. And so we're going to believe what God's Word says, amen, are the better things in life. And so, you know what? Let's read verses 7 through 10 together. We're going to notice seven different times, things coupled together. 
and one of them is better than the other. A good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of one's birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This also is vanity." Surely oppression maketh a wise man mad, and a gift destroyeth the heart. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. Say not thou... What is the cause that the former days were better than these? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. First of all, in verse 1, let's look at reputation and let's look at riches. It speaks of a good name and precious ointment. Ointment as in perfume or a very fragrant oil. I I say riches because it was very expensive. You think of the woman with the alabaster box of ointment, and she poured it all out on the head of Jesus. And the disciples had a wrong motive, wrong attitude, criticism for her, but Jesus approved of it. That, That ointment it's been said, is, com- is equivalent to a year's salary, a year's wages of someone. And she poured it out on Jesus. I, I just mentioned that to consider the expense of it. I call this riches when it says precious ointment. You know, you can measure the ointment, but you can't measure a good name. What a good name speaks of here is reputation. One's, one's character that carries through a name. That carries from generation to generation. You know, there was once a conviction. I'm not saying it's not at all here now, but it's surely fading. That once there was a conviction to care about the family name. Shelley and I have a friend and they were recently looking up those who are guilty of a certain crime in a certain zip code. And this friend of ours ran across a family member of theirs. 
not knowing they even lived in that zip code, I don't think. It wasn't for the purpose of finding them, didn't know anything about them, but found out that they were one who lived in this zip code that was guilty of this crime. And, and out of family concern, this friend told her mother. And her mother said, I can't believe he did that to his family's good name. She, this lady who said that was in her 80s. And I just say that it's slipping. It seems to be slipping from generation to generation to care about a good name in the family. You know, God gives us the greatest, most important reason for considering our thinking, our decisions, and our actions. And that's number one, the glory of God. But He gives us another reason for considering our lives, our conduct, our our character. And that is a family's name. Not to disgrace a good name. Preacher was preaching on verses similar to this and some in Proverbs. He was on the subject. And he noticed a member of the church one time just kind of squirming in their seat out of, out of fashion with a frown on their face. And, you know, he didn't, didn't know why. He thought he might have ants in his pants and trying to keep his composure in church for all he knew. And he didn't go trying to ask about it or, or find out, you know, what his situation was. He just let it go and figured the Lord would deal with it. Years later, that, without trying to, that preacher found out that that, that that man had moved an hour away from his, from his family, from his Christian family in his hometown for number one reason because he was disgracing the family's name with his character and his lifestyle. Now, now the best thing, of course, to do would have been for him to get right with the Lord. But let me say this, at least he considered this subject. I'm not praising anything about him not getting right with the Lord and making that choice. But he, but he didn't just completely neglect and not care about this, if you, if you know what I'm trying to say by that, because this need not be neglected from our lives. God mentions a good name, that reputation, it is better than riches. Many just don't care about that anymore, but reputation is better. How about entering and exiting? We find that in the end of verse 1, the day of death and the day of one's birth. Death and birth. Which one is better? Well, God's Word says death is. Now, it is not better to the person who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Death is, it is not better. You know... A time of death. I've, I've experienced with people broken hearts and regrets and a lot, of, a lot of tears over the death of others. You know, if, if we look hard enough, 
We'll even detect the loneliness that already begins in a spouse on the, on the day of death of their, of their spouse, of, of a widow. On the other hand, man, I have seen excitement at the hospital when a baby is about to be born. I mean, wow, in-laws even get along when a baby's about to be born. And, and, and I don't know if things are changing now, but when my kids were born and before that, I mean, grandmas and grandpas and parents and aunts and uncles and siblings are all gathered in the waiting room with excitement, with, I mean, in-laws with smiles plastered on their faces one to another like they like each other. And they're just so excited over the anticipation of this child coming into this world. I'll never, I'll never forget that. My in my family and in-law, they, they've always got along. I'm not saying that about mine. But I'll never forget those moments when our kids were born. It's a, it's a day of celebration. It's joy. It's happiness. How could death be better than birth? Well, as I said, it's not for the unbeliever, but for the blood-bought, born-again believer in Jesus Christ. Look, when that day of death comes in this world, we're going to be with Jesus. We are going to experience the fullness of the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I mean, death means heaven for the believer. Leaving a world of temptation and trouble, losing our sin nature, gaining rewards in heaven having such an amazing, glad reunion with all of those children of God who have gone on before. I don't know how many I have throughout my family. I fear it's not many. But my mother gave me a book not too long ago, and, and I never knew this, but I had an uncle who was a Baptist preacher, and he wrote a book, and, and she let me look at it a minute, then she didn't let me take it home. I can't tell you what it says, or what his doctrine's like, or theology, but I, I look forward to seeing it. I look forward to meeting him one day. I mean, that's what's coming in death for the child of God. We're going to be with Jesus forever and ever, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Praise God for that day that is coming. So, so... Knowing Jesus, the truth is, it makes death better. Paul was alive on this earth, and he had a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. It was more needful that he be here. Wow, isn't it wonderful to have purpose in Christ while we're here on this earth? and to serve Him. The desire was to be with Christ. To die is gain, Paul also said. That's God's timing, and that's God's appointment for our lives. Departure from this life on earth is God's timing for us. But what we understand here, it's better than birth. Verse 2, a funeral or a feasting, the house of mourning or the house of feasting, in other words. You know, everyone... Likes, likes a feast. 
I can't recall a feast that has ever been life-changing or impacted a life to the extent that they have never forgotten that feast. However, at a funeral, I mean, someone's day, someone's week has been completely turned around. And all of a sudden, they may, not have, they may have tried not to think of life and death for months or years. But all of a sudden, that's the subject. And it's placed before them. And someone who was here on this earth was no longer here on this earth. There's, there's something, somebody made fun of me for this one time, but there's something I look forward to about funerals. It's an amazing time that someone's attention is, is on life and death, and we get to share the way of life, the way to be saved, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Granddaddy received a, a phone call from a cousin in California. And he said, Gilbert, I, I never called you all of these years, but I just want to tell you at Aunt Sally's funeral 40 years ago, I didn't say anything, but I trusted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior right then and there. And I came back home to California and I found a good Baptist church and I was baptized and I've been serving the Lord for 40 years in the church. A funeral is better than feasting. I've never heard of a feast producing such a thing. The more profitable occasion for a life is a funeral. How about sorrowful or super, verses 3 and 4? Sorrow is, yeah, that's what he says, better than laughter. Laughter is a good thing. The Bible says, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. You know, sometimes I've tried to encourage someone, share a little scripture, and then all of a sudden, unintended, some kind of joke takes place, and the, and the person down laughs. And that was the blessing of the moment for them. If a, if a husband and wife alone with nobody else around, can laugh together. I'm going to just tell you right now, I think that must be a good sign. Laughter's good. I mean, we're sinking under the heavy weight of a burden sometimes, and, and laughter helps, even if it's just a moment. It, it's still a little salve on the wound, and it, and it helps. Sorrow is better than laughter. What are we going to do with this? You know, sorrow will make us bitter if we don't deal with it the right way. If we don't go to the man of sorrows, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if we don't go to Him and receive His help, we'll get bitter. But if we deal with it properly and we dwell with the Lord and we trust in Him through our sorrow, we're going to get better. And I don't just mean be, be on the up and up again or, or up on the mountaintop out of the valley. I mean better through sorrow in many, many ways. We're better for it. When we deal with sorrow properly, 
it will soften the heart. I, I, I'm telling you, when, when, when sorrow hits us and, and we deal with it the right way with the Lord, it will soften our hearts. It'll make us patient. It'll really make us slow down in a good way. And we won't be hasty. Sorrow produces some amazing qualities in our lives that, that we could get by the Word of God and we could get some other ways. And don't get me wrong, the, the Word of God, and they overlap with one another. But our times of sorrow puts our heart in such a condition that we're able to get better. It, it will make us more sincere about life, sorrow will. It really will. It'll, it'll stop, it'll make us stop and think about what's important in life. We will become more sensitive through others as a result of our experience of sorrow in our lives. I'm telling you, it happens. And we'll, we'll see how to be a blessing to someone else from our time of sorrow where we might not any other way. Sorrow does some good things. It isn't, it isn't very pleasant, but it sure seasons us in the right way in dealing with others. You know, us with others... It's a very important subject. You think about the Ten Commandments, and after the first one, everything else involves one person to someone else. It will help us with others. We will grow in many spiritual qualities through sorrow. I always want to go back to qualifying that with dealing with it in the right way with the Lord. Giving us the ability... To comfort others. Sorrow is better than laughter. Did, did you listen when I read this earlier? Did I listen? For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. I believe that is true. If we were always super duper, everything great, we wouldn't be able to stand each other. We'd be so spoiled, we couldn't stand each other. I'm not going to categorize a group of successful people in this world that so many people in this world envy and think that they have it made and they, oh man, they've just got it all. They've got this and they've got that. You know what? There's nothing I admire about the character of those in the world, no matter how much they have. And let's go back to the beginning. Remember, a good name is better than ointment, better than riches. Reputation is more important than riches. I just, I almost didn't go there. I'm going to stop before I go anymore. Sorrow, sorrow is truly used to mold greater godliness into our lives. It's a spiritual tool that God uses. And here's something it does. It will make us see beyond ourselves. It will make us see beyond our own opinions. Sorrow 
There's, a, there's something it does, and it makes us see things outside of our own point of view. I mean, it does some molding in the heart. It'll help us to listen and consider another's point of view. When our point of view is our opinion, that doesn't mean it's right. Sorrow is something that God uses to help all of these things. Can I, can I read it again? For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. Let's move on to correction or chatter. Which one's better? Look at, look at verse 5 and 6 with me. We're going to go a little long tonight, but that's okay. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fool. This is also vanity. The song of fools, this this isn't about music. It's not about singing. It's about words. It's about frivolous words. It's about words with no substance. It's about words of just flattery. Flattery even when it doesn't fit. We want to, we're tempted to accept flattery even when it doesn't fit. I mean, words that just have nothing behind them. They just, they just float like a feather in the air. A lot of people like that. I mean, it's a lazy, I don't care way of thinking that, that ends up be bringing out this uh, song of fools. Many would rather be amused than be educated. Many would rather laugh than to learn. Somebody bought me some preacher joke books. I don't know, but it just may be they think I don't tell enough jokes. I'm sorry if I don't. The ones I think, it just bombs anyway. The ones I think are real funny, fall flat with you. I have a weird sense of humor, I guess. So joke is not my area. Some people would rather, they would rather laugh than learn. I mean, flatter the flesh. Proverbs says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. Oh, it's all right. Oh, everything's good. Oh, that's not wrong. Oh, that's not bad. You're great. Everything's good. Look, wounds are not fiery darts, but they are words of good, loving correction when we care. You know, when you go deep into the word grace, I've been wanting to to teach a series on grace. When you go deep into the word grace, uh, let me just give you the example of, of what comes to mind. One solid scriptural preacher blasted someone in Houston who calls themselves a preacher who's just deceiving the people. And another preacher said, I'm glad he had the grace to come out and say that. We'll we'll get to that some other time. Words of loving correction. If we truly love someone, there's going to be a moment that God lays it on our heart to go to them, to guide them. 
We're going to choose our words. We're going to pray over our words. We're going to want the very best for someone. And we're going to give those words in love and pray that they be received in love and improve another's condition. I looked up I looked up a statement that I made through this study 10 years ago. This is the only statement I will make tonight that I, that I made 10 years ago. I know it's 10 years ago. I, I usually date everything in my studies. I didn't date this, but Connor Oluski was born the week that I taught this. And there he is. He's in here tonight, and he's 10 years old now. So I know it was 10 years ago. I made this statement. Pray for the preachers because just as it's their job to exhort and educate and inspire, it's also their job to reprove and rebuke and people don't like it. That's, that's what I wrote. What we want and what we need are two different things. The, the song of fools, people are fine with what they hear as long as it's what they want. Think about never getting what we need. What a terrible situation that is. You know, none of us are perfect, and we all need rebuke. We all need correction in the right way for the right reason, with no partiality, with nothing biased in it. We need good, godly rebuke. It's how we can be redirected when we're on the wrong path. The devil's a deceiver and we, we can possibly not know in a moment, in a turn, that we've taken the wrong turn. God bless those who love us enough to care for us, to help us in that area. It's, it's how our lives are improved. To accept rebuke is wise. To reject it is vain. And we are going to be void of the good lessons learned as a result. Correction is better than chatter. Let's go to the middle of verse 8. Patient or proud? You have the patient in spirit, and you have the proud in spirit. Proud in spirit is not the positive thing here. It's not the positive one. Pride. The Bible says that only by pride cometh contention. Solomon mentions in verse 7, oppression. He mentions oppression. And then at the end of verse 7, a gift destroyeth the heart. He mentions bribery. And he doesn't like these things. These things got under his skin. I mean, oppression is wrong. So is bribery. So is a feisty, vicious, retaliating, hateful response. Even, even if we're in the right. Even if we're the victim. The proud in spirit are going to respond that way. The patient in spirit takes things slowly. And endures. Endures through injustices. Knowing the Lord sees it. And he doesn't like it. He knows when we are suffering unjustly. Peter says, For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well doing than for evil doing. 
well, you just read those verses, preacher. Just, yeah, just read those verses out there. Look, I'm not saying this is easy, but it's, it's where we need to go over and over. The Holy Spirit led Peter to say, it's better, and we obviously know it's, it's better to suffer for well-doing than for evil. It's better to suffer for doing right than for doing wrong. But we need to consider God saying that and how we take things that are unjust. We must learn to, to leave it with the Lord or we're going to become angry. We go to talking about anger after this. And pride and anger, they overlap one another. I could talk about anger for an hour. We, we're, we're, our, our hour's already up. I have another hour for anger. Let me just say this. Anger doesn't want to come visit. Anger wants to stay. Because anger can destroy our lives. Notice, notice in verse 9, Be not hasty in thy spirit to be angry, for anger resteth in the bosom of fools. That word resteth, it means abide and stay. Anger wants to take up residence and never move out kind of like those who are able to trick you into moving into their house that you rent to them and they find a way that they don't have to get out of there. I've always been scared to rent. I was tempted to, but I was scared to and I didn't do it. Some have and some couldn't get their unpaying tenant out. I say that, just nothing about that, but anger. Anger that wants to come live and make a home and stay. We should hate sin. We should hate it in ourselves. We should hate it in others. We should take a firm stand when needed. But continual habitual anger, that, that's for the fool. So we see it's better to be patient than to be proud. How about then or, or this? I Verse 10 will explain what I mean by then or this. Say not thou, what is the cause that the former days were better than these days? For thou dost not inquire wisely concerning this. I have sure failed in this area. I told a friend one time years ago, I think I should have lived in the 1800s. He said, you couldn't handle the lack of air conditioning. I said, true, you're probably right. But even if I could have, that, that wasn't a very good statement for me to make. That wasn't a very good mindset for me to have, that thinking that everything was just perfect and great back then or something. You know, how, how unuseful would that be for me to still be thinking that when, when God has me and all of us, maybe you're guilty like I was, we are here in this day and time, placed here by God, saved by God through the Lord Jesus Christ around so many people who do not know Jesus Christ. And He gives us the privilege of being His mouthpiece to share Jesus Christ with others so that others can be saved right here, right now, in this day and time, whether you hate this whether you hate computers, whether you hate all of these new things that have come about or, or not, we're here 
right now. It's not about back then. It's, a, it's about this. This day and time that we live in. We can't, we can't affect the past. Why be passionate about the, past, the, the old days? We can't affect that. That's gone. We're here right now. And we can make an effect right now. This is better than then. Today than the old days. Let, let's, let us stop and reflect on the wisdom that God gave us through Solomon. Of the things that are better in life. Because the natural mind will just wander off and, and next thing you know, we're depressed or we're down because we have what's better <laughs> instead of what we think we want. Renewing of the mind. The Bible renews the mind. Let us reflect on, on what God says is better in life. It's going to help our day. It's going to help our situations. It's going to help us through the situations in life. Well, God bless you all. Thank you for your extended time. The seats are pretty comfortable, so hopefully you're okay tonight. And uh, I'm going to ask our, our music minister, David Myrick, if he will close us in a word of prayer, and you all have a blessed evening.